He had no idea when he got on that plane that things were going to change when he got there. It was 2010, and Kyle Carpenter had boarded a plane to make his way to Marja, Afghanistan. One day, one incident changed dramatically the rest of his life. He and a bunch of his buddies were stationed on the roof as lookouts, waiting to see any activity. When out of nowhere, an insurgent runs by and tosses several grenades on that roof. As you can imagine, a situation like that would cause time to slow down. But in that moment, Kyle Carpenter made a decision. Within milliseconds, within the fraction of a blink of an eye, he decides to jump on a grenade in order to protect the Marine next to him. He does it. He jumps on top of an exploding grenade, expecting full well to lose his life. And that's exactly what he thought was happening. He saw the static before his eyes. And then he said, he simply went unconscious. He woke up five weeks later, sitting in a, laying in a hospital bed to realize the full extent of all the injuries that he succumbed to. He broke his jaw. He lost his eye. Shrapnel pierced his body, showing entrance and exit wounds for most of it, except for the shrapnel that's still inside his brain. He collapsed a lung. He severed several major arteries. He lost so much of what he had come to know, including having ruptured both eardrums, losing much of his hearing. Kyle Carpenter laid it all on the line that day and walked away to tell the story. He did protect the life of that one Marine that he threw himself on the grenade for, but even that Marine still got injured and has suffered brain damage ever since then. Well, even so, five years, excuse me, three years go by where Kyle Carpenter is stuck in that hospital undergoing uh, reparation, not reparations, (laughs) repairing his broken body, trying to restore him back to some semblance of normal health. And after three years of that practice, then he has to undergo several dozen surgeries just to put him back into fully, uh, to a working operation, not full health. It would not surprise you then that this same guy eventually receives the highest decoration that a member of the military can ever receive. One of our presidents awards Kyle Carpenter with the Medal of Honor. He's one of the youngest. He's one of the few who are alive who have that designation. The greater the sacrifice given, the greater the honor granted. And so no one really would deny the fact that Kyle Carpenter, really, he deserves it. He earned that designation because of what he was willing to sacrifice and to lay down his life for. And granted, remember, listen to this. He does it for one Marine. I mean, I don't know if you heard me tell the story. There were several grenades that were tossed onto the roof. He's not going to save everybody. He jumps on one grenade to save one Marine. And as a consequence of his great bravery, his great humility, and his great sacrifice, he receives the greatest honor that could be given, the Medal of Honor. The greatest humility, the greatest courage, and the greatest sacrifice ever to be demonstrated by anyone at any point in time was done and accomplished 2,000 years ago. Wasn't a Marine. He was a lowly guy who was born in a manger, and you know all about him. However, a lot of people can look at that great sacrifice, look at that great courage, look at that great humility, and say, you know what? Shrug shoulders, meh. I mean, that's cool and all, but it doesn't really feel like it's for me. 
I, I would guess that if you were the Marine on that roof with Carpenter and he's the one who jumped on the grenade for your sake, you might feel a great sense of debt to him. You would say, man, dude, I want to I live my life and do it to the best of my ability because you were giving your life for my sake. And yet when we look at Jesus, not a lot of us tend to carry that with us on any regular basis. We get bored of Jesus. We, when we approach our worship moment, we feel a certain sense of, uh, you know, I, I got to do this. And we talked about this last week. We began talking about that last week. But now I want to heighten your awareness of just who it is that we worship. Kyle Carpenter gets the Medal of Honor. Jesus gets something far greater. He gets enduring, repeated, eternal worship. And that's what I want to encourage you about tonight, because you see, it's not just a, a one-time sacrifice for us. This, this is the kind of sacrifice that meant everything. This is the kind of sacrifice that was so special, so unique, so historic, that it has repercussions for the rest of our lives. We worship Jesus. He gives our greatest worship, not because he's just a figure of our religion. He is. He receives the greatest worship for, from us because of who he is and what he's done. He is God in the flesh who has lived and died in our place. And because of that, he deserves forever and always, even tonight, he deserves our greatest acts, our greatest worship, our greatest praise. Tonight, Paul's going to encourage us from Philippians chapter two. In these few verses, he's going to say, remember Philippians who Jesus is. And as a result of who Jesus is, now you go and serve each other. We're not talking about serving each other tonight. We're talking just about who Jesus is. I want to remind you. I want to remind you of who he is. And in fact, there's a, there's a psalm that says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Anyone know that psalm? Know that song? I like that because if you really want someone to appreciate something with you, especially if it's food related, you don't just tell them, uh, you know, my, the pizza that I had is so good. It's delicious. You know, deep dish Chicago style pizza. It's got super thick cheese and the cheese is stringy and then it's got all this marinara sauce and they have this flat patty of sausage on top. I mean, you could explain it and they might get a sense of what that is, but it's better to say, well, here, just try a piece. Right? Eat this. And if you're a Chicago, Chicagoan, Chicagoan, Chicagan. If you're a Chicagan, you would also not eat it with your hands. You eat it with a fork and knife for some absurd reason. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that Chicago-style pizza is good. Tonight, Paul's going to serve up on a platter who Jesus is so that you can taste and see that Jesus is incredibly good. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, it says this. Paul says to the, the church, have this mind, think this way, among each other. As, as Christians, you should think this way among yourselves. This mindset, this attitude belongs to you because you are in Jesus Christ. He says, uh, because of the inheritance of who Jesus is and the fact that you are now grafted into him, you should now think the way that Jesus thinks. This is your, this is your place. This is your portion. Verse six, think like Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Which is to say this, though Jesus was fully God, he did not cling to his position or his title or his rank. He didn't cling to that. He said, okay, I'm willing to let go some of the, the, the exercise of my divine privileges in order to do this. Verse seven, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but verse seven, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And so Jesus willingly gives himself up to this humble servant-like position. And notice here, I know the word emptying seems like, okay, he's losing something, but that's not what's happening here because you can see in verse seven, he empties himself by, how does he do it? Taking the form of a servant. So his emptying is not losing something. He's actually adding something. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, adds to himself humanity. And so now the person of Jesus Christ has two natures. So think about it like this. Think of a triangle. Think of the person of Jesus Christ having both a human nature and a divine nature. He was always God, but now he adds humanity. That's my first point. In fact, the, the sermon title is this. What's so great about Jesus? Why do we celebrate him? Why is there a holiday about him? Why do we do these things? What's so great about Jesus? Well, the first thing that you should re recognize about him is that he became a man for you. That's what's so great about Jesus. Jesus. 
because he was God. Sad news, sad news. One of my bearded dragons died. It was really sad. And my whole family, like we, we were sad about that whole experience. She was going through a long decline. Her name was Labellia. Super sweet. She had eyes that would melt your soul. Even if you were a cat lover, you could love this, this, this bearded dragon. She grew a tumor on her side and then she stopped eating and stopped drinking. And so you kind of knew that the end was near. I don't know, some days my, my, my Bible reading spot is next to her tank. So I'd sit there with my iPad and just kind of look at her and I'd feel really bad because I knew she was suffering. She had this tumor that she would kind of drag around with her front legs and I could, you could tell it bothered her. And a part of me wanted and wished I could just communicate. Like if somehow God could take me and transplant me into the, the cage and make me a bearded dragon, just so I could say, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> or at the very least, could comfort her as she died, right? Like, I don't know, maybe there's bearded dragon fairy tales I could say to help her, or, you know, trust Jesus, Labellia. I don't know if that works for bearded dragons, but it's worth a shot. My desire to serve that, I mean, dumb little lizard is exactly what Jesus does. He takes the position of his godness and he doesn't stay in heaven and say, man, I, you know, I wish I could communicate with these people. Uh, he doesn't just hope and wish and pray. Instead, he does do that. He transforms himself by adding to himself flesh in order to communicate with us, to sympathize with us, and ultimately to become our great high priest. Jesus does something that you and I could never even fathom. Like I playfully think it would be cool to be a bearded dragon so I could talk to my bearded dragon, but none of us would really do that, I don't think. Uh, and even that kind of, that, that amount of humility to say, well, I'm gonna add myself, you know, I'll, go, I'll become a bearded dragon to serve my bearded dragon. It's absurd. It doesn't make sense. But when God himself does that and puts himself in a human body in order to serve us and to live for us and to die for us, that ought to create in some, something in us that says, that's different, that's unique, that's fascinating. I need to clarify two things about this. Number one, Jesus became a man, but that doesn't mean he was never fully God. He was always God. He always exercised his godness. He was never emptied of his deity. He was fully God and fully man. Or another way to say this, he was truly God and truly man. You might then ask yourself, well, what about those situations where Jesus says, I'm hungry. We know that God doesn't have any needs. So how is he hungry? Uh, you also know that Jesus falls asleep in a boat. We know that God doesn't sleep. So how is Jesus sleeping? Well, again, remember, even though Jesus is fully and truly God, he still has this new nature added to him, which is called human nature. He is fully, truly God and fully human, uh, fully man. Jesus always was God. Remember John 8, 58, where the Pharisees are accusing him. He says, before Abraham was born, what? I am. He was saying, I am Yahweh in the flesh. I am God, but I am incarnate, which means Jesus, even as a man, was always self-existent, self-sufficient. He is the creator of all things with no beginning and no end. And this is the one and same person that now indwells this human body. The distance someone is willing to go for you gives you evidence of the love that they have for you. If you think about the exact opposite of this part of the globe, okay, we're in Aliso Viejo, California. What's the exact opposite point of this part of the globe? Anyone know? I actually researched it and I know the exact point. It's nowhere fun. We are off the coast of South Africa, like in the middle of the ocean, just kind of floating in nowhere. So if you were to dig a tunnel right below us here and go straight down, you would end up in the ocean off the coast of South Africa and likely be eaten by a shark. Well, imagine if someone came to you and said, hey, I've, I've dug a tunnel from the ocean on the other side of the globe and I've traversed this whole distance just to tell you this message. You would probably do well and you'd even be inclined to say, well, what is that message? I know you've come a long distance. Tell me what your thoughts are. You've traveled a long distance. That distance, no matter how many thousands of miles that is, is still small in comparison to the distance that Jesus goes to become human for you. He's still God. He's fully man. 
And that man travels a long distance in order to say things to you, to communicate to you. Which, young person, think about this. The Son of God goes the distance for you. You ought to listen to what he has to say. And in fact, what he has to say will change your life and amaze you. I said the first clarification is that Jesus was always God, even in his flesh and his humanity. The things that challenge that are that he's still human, so he sleeps. And there are things that he doesn't know in his human nature. The second clarification is this. Jesus became a man for you, but the reason why is exceedingly important, okay? Jesus became a man for you in order to serve you and to save you. We call this God becoming man, the incarnation. This is what we celebrate. That's what's on the screen. You know, you see the, you see the, 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 the point there. Jesus became a man for you. You see that little trough. God becomes a man. It's incarnation. You're adding flesh, incarnate, right? Uh, you know, Spanish speakers, incarnate. You're adding flesh to something that was not flesh, fleshly before. And so it, in Christmas time, we celebrate the conception, the virgin conception, where Mary, about the age of some of you girls sitting in the crowd here, Mary gets an angelic visitation and says, you're going to have the son of God be born in your belly. Okay. No, thanks. <laughs> how bizarre. How bizarre. You might do a TikTok video saying how bizarre that is. But that's what happened. That's how God depicts it. And the reason why is because there are prophecies that point to that experience taking place. And so the virgin conception, Jesus becomes flesh. And think about this. Okay, think about this. Jesus, the fully God, fully man, is a baby held in Mary's arms. She could have dropped him and killed him. Like, oops. <laughs> the God man is vulnerable. I mean, you, got, you guys are watching, I, mean, I don't want to assume, in The Mandalorian, everybody loves that little green dude that they thought was Baby Yoda. And he's so cute and cuddly. And the Mandalorian is like, oh, I feel a jealousy for this kid. I want to protect the kid, you know, the child, he calls him. Jesus was infant. He was a baby and he could have suffered harm. He could have been killed. I mean, the devil, I'm sure, had his, 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 his reasons, right? The devil wanted to have him killed and he attempted that. Jesus became a little boy and was able to be held by his mom. That's fascinating. He does this. He humbles himself for what purpose? He does this in order to seek and to save the lost. Jesus' stated purpose was this. He says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man did not come uh, for his own purpose, but he came to seek and to save the lost. And, and Mark 10, 45, it says that he, he came in order to ransom many people's lives. Jesus came and the, for the very purpose of expressing his love for you, toward you, so that you might understand the kind of love the father has for people like you and me who are sinful, who are fallen. The transcendent God puts himself in flesh in order to become approachable, in order for you to say, I get you. I understand you. You're like me. God humbles himself so that you would understand his great love for you. We're going to sing tonight. In fact, what's exciting about tonight is that we're going to do it differently than we normally do it. We're going to sing together between points that I preach. So as I have the band come up, the first song we're going to sing together is, O Come All Ye Faithful. Now, I want to explain a couple songs before we sing them because I think it's helpful. Uh, the, the antiquated language of, oh, come all ye faithful can be a bit off-putting, but I want to insert some new meaning into it for you. This is us responding to the fact that Jesus became a man for us. He was incarnated for our sake. And one of the lines that says, uh, that talks about that says this, he's God of God, light of light eternal, low, or check it out, or what's popping. He abhors not the virgin's womb. He doesn't hate to be associated with the lowly. He embraces that lowliness. He is the son of the father. He's begotten, not created. That's an important fact. Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Okay, so yes, Lord, we, we say, what's up? 
born this happy morning. This is what we celebrate in Christmas, right? Jesus to you be all glory given because he's word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Word of the Father is John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So tonight as we sing this, we sing, let us adore him. We are going to do that together. We're going to adore Jesus Christ together. Remember last week I told you, when you're singing, think about what you're singing. You have to do a little more work with hymns like this, but it's well worth it. Like a sponge, squeeze it for all it's worth and adore him. Jesus deserves our adoration. What's so great about Jesus? He became a man for you. The right response is everyone who's faithful to him, let us worship and adore him. So please stand as we sing this first song together. step down the staircase of humility for Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, verse eight, it says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself in what way? Well, be by, by becoming obedient to the point even of death, death on a cross. You see, Jesus incarnates himself in order to be obedient to the father for the purposes of dying. He lives in order to die. Point number two, what's so great about Jesus? He lived and died for you. I mean, if you want to be crazy here, and I encourage you to do this, you might put your name in that you. Jesus lived and died for, put your name in there. If you're a Christian, that's especially true for you. But there are people here tonight who are not Christians that need to be Christians 
And you need to think about this being applied to your name, your case, your sin. Sometimes my daughter will say, my, my, my middle daughter, Carissa, she'll say, Dad, can you fill up my water cup for me? And because I'm a loving dad, I say, do it yourself. <laughs> and then she'll say, I can't reach. I need someone to do it for me. I say, well, did you try? <laughs> climb the sink. You could do it. I mean, I'm sitting down already. I mean, <laughs> I can't do it. I need someone to do it for me. I can't reach. I need someone to reach it for me. The standard that heaven has, God's standard, is perfection. And you can't reach. You need someone to do it for you. You're just like my three-year-old daughter. In fact, all honesty, we're all just like my three-year-old daughter. We can't reach heaven's perfect righteousness. We need someone to do it for us. In steps Jesus. He lives and dies in our place. We couldn't do it ourselves. Here's what we needed Jesus to do. One, we needed someone to deal with our sin. We have a sin problem. We can't not sin. We have to sin. That's part of our nature. And then two, we have a guilt problem in that when we die, if we stand before God in that guilt, we will receive his just, righteous wrath and condemnation. We have big problems on our hands unless someone does something about that. And that's where Jesus steps in. Jesus first fulfills the law of God. He became obedient Jesus became obedient as he lived, as a little tyke, he grew up, he became more and more obedient as he got older. Jesus lived perfectly, even as a young man. He was your age. He knows what it means to deal with acne, I'm guessing. And he, de he deals with all of that by perfectly obeying the law and its commands. And Jesus is like a gymnast who executes his routine and lands it and nails a 10, 10, 10 all the time, which the rating system is now different. I know that, but he gets a perfect 10 all the time. In the way that he lives, he gets a 10. In the words that he chooses to use, he gets a 10. In the thoughts that he has about God and about others, he gets a 10. You understand my point here. There is no flaw in Jesus. He lives his entire life dependent upon the Spirit in obedience to the Father. And as a consequence, his entire life is spotless, pure white without any blemish. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. That's what Hebrews 4.15 says. In baseball, there is this position called the designated hitter. He can step up to, plate, to the plate in place of the pitcher. If you think about Jesus being the designated hitter, he steps into the plate, the pitcher throws his best, and Jesus hits every single ball over the fence. The ball is thrown. It's a, it's, it's a fastball. It's a curveball. It's a whatever else is out there kind of ball. And Jesus hits it over the fence and runs the bases every single time. He bats a thousand. There is no mistake in the way Jesus lives his life. What do you think would happen to a guy like that? If we knew a baseball player like that or a basketball player like that who never erred in his ability to perform, what kind of contract would that guy have? What kind of notoriety, what kind of fame would that guy have? Well, think about Jesus in those terms and you will understand why Christians love Jesus Christ. His active obedience performs flawlessly. We ought to marvel at that perfect obedience. If we just think for a second about our own inconsistency, we would look at that and say, man, that just blows my mind. Thought, words, and deeds, all uniform, conforming to the perfect law of God. Jesus lives in our place. He also dies in our place. Philippians 2.8 says, he uh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus' obedience was comprehensive, even got to the point of death. Now, if someone pushes you and says, hey, do you really believe in what you say? You love Trump so much, you're willing to die for him? I think you might say, well, you know, second thought, I'll, Biden's good. <laughs> I'll take Biden any day. You know, President Biden, I guess, President-elect Biden now. But Jesus says, I love the Father so much and I understand that the human condition needs a savior and needs to have guilt dealt with. I'm willing to obey obediently, humbly to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? For your sake. 
1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for us. Which is a way to say that Jesus was an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. That's what the word propitiation means. He's an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. Our guilt is laid on the shoulders of Jesus. He carries the burden of our our sin and guilt on his own shoulders and takes it to the cross in order to be a willing sacrifice on your behalf, on my behalf. Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world still, even though he recently divided much of his his fortune with his his, uh, now ex-wife. But I want you to imagine that he adopts you. You know, you, you, things aren't going well at your family. You put in an application. He says, all right, you're now my new son or daughter. First thing you do when you enter into the Bezos mansion is you take out one of the Lamborghinis, one of the really expensive ones, because you can't. So you get in that Lambo and you rev the engine. You make your way outside the long driveway under the street and you push that gas pedal as hard as you can. And because you're not legally old enough to drive, you ram it into a tree. And now you've ruined the Lamborghini. You've ruined the Lamborghini, but you're not concerned because your dad's got money. He's so well off that the debt that you accrue, even though it's substantial, it's a drop in the bucket for Daddy Bezos. He just writes a check or sends a Venmo to whoever, and boom, your debt is paid. Like it's over, not even an issue. Probably got 17 other Lambos in the, in the garage that are just waiting to be used. God, who is rich in mercy, has decided to take your sin debt and write it off, not with ink, but with blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. He takes his pen and dips it in his blood and writes across your account, not guilty, forgiven. Jesus lives in your place to fulfill the righteousness of God He dies in your place so that God might be rich in mercy to forgive your sin debt, to wipe you clean, to make you brand new so that you have the opportunity to be before him in heaven forever with perfect righteousness. Now, as a Christian, you're no longer bound. You can't not not sin. You're able to not sin. You're free to not sin because you've now been declared righteous in Christ and he gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can live like him. Not perfectly, but your life begins to conform more and more to the pattern of Christ. You're now able not to sin because of what Christ has done for you. Young person, Christian, let me talk to you real quick. Christian, turn and trust Jesus. You never get old enough to say, I've graduated past repentance and faith. No matter what it is that you struggle with, I can tell you the answer is repent of sin and turn and trust Jesus Christ. You feel insecure because you're not handsome enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough. You're not whatever enough. And here's the thing. I can affirm you're not enough. You'll never be enough, but Jesus is enough. Turn from the sin of looking at yourself and trying to help you measure up against the standards that the world has for you and say, you know what? Jesus is my standard. He's enough. And I don't need to measure myself against any external standard except the law of God. And Jesus has fulfilled the law of God on my behalf. So let me repent of my selfishness, my self-focus, and let me trust Jesus Christ. He's enough. Christian, you never grow out of that. That truth is not just get saved and now you're a Christian and move past that. No, you never grow out of that. That's the foundation of our faith, repentance and faith. We trust, we turn from sin. We trust Jesus, we turn from sin. Non-Christian, the same equation goes for you. The life that you live. I mean, is there anyone on God's green earth that you can point to who's gonna love you as much as Jesus has proven that he loves you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Your life could be radically changed forever tonight if you would but hear the call that I'm giving to you. Turn and trust Jesus Christ for your life, for your death, for whatever else comes. If 2021 is worse than 2020, Jesus is still good. Which I hope it isn't as worse. But it could be. Turn and trust Christ. He's worthy of your affection. He's worthy of your love. And this is exactly what this, 
the angels sing about. He's the heaven-born prince of peace. He's the son of righteousness, and he brings light and life to everyone. And here's that, look at that, that last line, risen with healing in his wings. Well, pop, pop quiz, is Jesus a bird? No, Jesus doesn't have wings. He's not, he's not a bird, but the, the imagery here is him covering you under the shadow of his wings, and in that shadow is healing, protection, joy. There is life, there's light. I could see where once I was blind, he is my righteousness. I hail him, like worship him, hail him. He's the prince of peace. He gives us peace between him, us and God, but that peace is not only vertical, it's horizontal. There is a new peace that we receive because we're in Christ together. Mild, humbly, he puts his glory aside. He veils himself with flesh so that you can't tell just by looking at him that he's God, but he is. He, he uh, lays his glory by. He's born so that no, no more people might die. And that's not a physical death. That's, a, that's, that's spiritual death. He's born so that you might no longer spiritually die. He's born to raise the sons of earth. And that means resurrection. Someday, Jesus is going to resurrect all the people that have ever, ever died and give us new bodies, glorified bodies, so that we can live eternally with him. He's born to give us second birth. There's a, there's a technical word for that called regeneration. He's born to make you alive in the spiritual realm. Hark the herald angels sing. These angels are not named herald. The angels herald a message. They announce, they proclaim a message. What's that message? Glory to the newborn king. Let's sing that together as we respond to the fact that Jesus lived and died for us. All right, guys, please stand and sing with us as we sing Hark the herald angels sing. Thank you. 
Thank you guys for worshiping with us. You may be seated again. What's so great about Jesus? He becomes a man for us. He lives and dies for us. And now there's only one right response here. What do we do with this man? Well, take a look at these next few verses that Paul composes. And this is the father's response to what Jesus does. And we're going to take a page out of the father's playbook to say, okay, what do we do now? Take a look at these verses. Therefore, because of all that Jesus has done, God, the father has highly exalted him. Uh, and that word that's behind the highly exalted is like super exalted him. He's extra exalted. And this is not like, oh, he's a cool guy. Let's talk about him. It's super duper exaltation. Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father's response to Jesus' work is to say, okay, Jesus, because of who you are, because of what you've done, I'm going to super exalt you so that whether you live or die, whether you're creation, well, I guess all creation, whether if you're a Christian in creation or if you're a non-Christian, heaven, earth, under the earth, alive, dead, doesn't matter. Every single knee will bow to King Jesus. And not only that, your knee's not only going to bow, but your tongue will also confess, Jesus is the Lord. Now I told you, and the last point, you should respond to this. You should right now willingly submit your life to Jesus Christ. Christians, I know you've done that. Non-Christians, this is your call. This is your chance to say, I will willingly bow to this good and merciful King before I am forced to bow, because that's the case. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that will be to the glory of God the Father. Right now is the time to respond to that. Christian, this point's for you. Non-Christian, I'm hoping you'll obey this too, by becoming right with God. But Christian, there's an obvious answer here, and that means we should worship Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his title. He's Messiah, Lord is the name that he shares with the Father. He is Yahweh. He is the covenant God of the Old Testament. So that's a a mouthful, but you are to worship him. We talked about adoring him. Now it's time for us to say, okay, I need to respond to this God because he's amazing. Michael Jordan has this documentary out, uh, and I've already talked about this a little bit, but there's one element of this. I, I I did some research and I found out that if you Google best basketball player ever, there's no contest. Michael Jordan continues to rank at the top of the list. Even with the new guys around, I mean, you know, what's his face? LeBron James and Kobe, God rest his soul. None of those, I think they're on the top five, sure. But, but MJ remains as king of the pile. And in fact, if you really want to contest this, all you have to do is look at the memorabilia, the sales that go into uh, who he is. You know, know, he's got like 17 MVPs and like 47 titles or whatever. I don't know the numbers, but it's it's ridiculous. The guy's a magician on the court. Well, if you were at one of the games, I think it was in Utah, uh, he, no, 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 this wasn't Utah. This was before that. He did a grand slam on the board, (laughs) slam dunk. You knew what I meant. (laughs) He slams the, 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 the slam dunks. How do you say this? He does a slam dunk and he breaks the backboard. And of course, at this point in time, no one was doing this. So when he does it, everyone's like uproarious applause. Like, oh, the dude just broke the backboard. And they're going bonkers berserk, right? Well, he's wearing a pair of his Air Jordan 1s. And he saves them. And then eventually he sells them. If you have a pair of Air Jordan 1s with some of the shattered backboard glass in the sole of the shoe, you could have made $615,000. My shoes are $60. (laughs) I'd be happy to sell them to you if you'd pay that much for them. But hero worship is kind of, it's not a new thing. We all know, hero worship is not a new thing. And we might even say, you know, MJ deserves that. He's one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And so he deserves accolades and adoration. Okay. But if that's what MJ deserves, who shattered a backboard, what does Jesus deserve who shattered sin, death, and the grave entirely? 
That would have been a good place to say amen. I'm just saying. I, I know we don't do that here, but man, I felt like I was going to say amen to my own point. Jesus shatters the sin and the grave of, of uh, he's the curse of sin, all done. He shatters the backboard over. The enemy has no chance. You ought to worship Jesus Christ the Lord because he rose from the dead. Let's just think about that for a second. Jesus conquers the grave. You die, you're dead, that's it. No one's bringing you back to life. But Jesus dies and he says, by the way, I'm coming back. Terminator style. But as he does this, he says, I'm going to be vindicated by the Father. I'm going to raise from the dead. In fact, in verse, uh, in verse 9 of Philippians 2, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. Now, I know he's talking about the exaltation of Jesus' ascension and the fact that in heaven right now he is the king of glory. But there's also the exaltation of Jesus from the grave. He's not left there. He will not let his holy one see corruption, the psalm says. That's a prophecy about the fact that the Messiah would never die. So Jesus is raised from the grave. He is declared to be the king because of who he is. And the father exalts him to the highest place. He raised, raises Jesus from the dead and exalts him. Jordan has his jersey retired. It's number 23. Well, the father has sin and death retired because Jesus conquered the enemy. Boom, that was good. I don't know who you are. That was good. Jesus, okay, we're going to move on. I'm going to stop congratulating myself. <laughs> the greater the sacrifice given, the greater the honor granted. Okay, so you see the parallel here, right? Kyle Carpenter, he lays down his life for one friend. Jesus lays down his life for countless people who would ever repent and believe. That's got to be a sin debt larger than any of us can know. But he lays down his life and the father says, I'm going to make sure that there's a physical and a verbal response to this. That physical response is every knee is going to be put down on the ground. And then, not only that, I'm going to make sure that every human person, living or dead, declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no escaping that. Everyone's going to do that. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you ought to worship him. Here's the thing, guys. I'm all about sports figures and, you know... Some of you guys might say Charlie D'Amelio is of great significance or consequence or whatever. Whatever you think about pop figures, like I'm cool with that. I, I like having heroes and people that I, I, I look up to them. Like, okay, enjoy others, worship Jesus. Okay, enjoy others, worship Jesus. You can have your heroes. Uh, you can have people that you look up to and admire. That's great. But remember, Jesus made those people. Jesus is the creator. He created Michael Jordan. Jesus is the creator of Charlie D'Amelio. Enjoy others. Worship Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus also is the rightful ruler of creation. You know, when you watch a good movie, like the, I love the movies that end with happily ever after. You know, I don't like the movies where the end is everybody dies. <laughs> the end. I like the movies where there's a wrap-up, a conclusion where it's like, ah, as the credits roll, I feel good inside. In Frozen 2, there is this scene where, you know, that Elsa and Anna, they do their thing, and at the end, everyone's happy. I like Disney movies for that reason. I like when they do happy things. That's why I hated Old Yeller. That was a sad happy. The scene just before the conclusion of Mankind's story is Jesus crushing everything and bringing all things under, under submission to his glorious rule and reign. This is the good guy installed where he belongs. And the bad guy is not like, you know, in some movies, the bad guy's being put into a police car. He's like, oh, I'll get you for this, Superman, or whatever. Like, there's, there's like, oh, man, evil is temporarily taken care of, but that bad guy's coming back. Jesus doesn't put the bad guy in like a, you know, a police car. He's like, oh, you're, you might come back later. Jesus deals with sin and death and the enemy permanently. That's pretty amazing. All creation wrapped up into the story of Christ. This is where we're all meant to go. And here's the thing. You may, not, you may forget about this, but literally you and I and everyone else in all creation was made for Jesus. You are made for Jesus. Which means then, if I am made for Jesus, that means when my life is aligned with worshiping him and serving him and loving him, I am fulfilling the purpose from my existence. And in that way, if that's true, I am not only fulfilling my purpose, I am experiencing great, satisfying joy. You see, some people, when you think about worship, you think about a duty to be done. 
and not an experience to be enjoyed. Worship is not a duty to be done, but an experience to be enjoyed. You see, because you're doing what you were made to do. You're doing what you were designed to do, to honor and to worship King Jesus. Worship Jesus Christ the Lord, because he conquered the grave for us, and he is the rightful ruler of creation. He deserves your affection, your allegiance. He deserves your submission. This is worth celebrating, which is why our next song is joyfully, 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 we adore, we worship you. The God of glory and the Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Now think about this, okay? This is a silly illustration, but a flower doesn't unfold to the sun because it has to, okay? A flower doesn't unfold to the sun because it has to. It unfolds to the sun because that's how the flower's fed. In part, because it receives energy from the sun. That's how our worship works. We're not opening to the sun, the glory of the sun, because we have to. We're opening to the sun because that's how we are fed. That's how we are blessed. That's how we enjoy the fact that we are creatures made to worship the creator. The song says, melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal, think about that word, gladness. Fill us with the light of day. The greatest joy you and I can experience is not sex, drugs, or rock and roll, or whatever else, power, prestige. The greatest joy you can experience is to be right with your maker and to enjoy your created purpose, to worship him. Let's do that together. And again, as we adore Christ with this song.
Thank you for seeing. You guys may be seated once more. There's a Hindu festival that happens every five years. The last one was in 2019. It's called the Gadamai Hindu Festival. This Hindu festival is known as the largest animal sacrifice, the world's largest animal sacrifice. And in fact, uh, the recent estimations in 2019 is that they sacrificed 50,000 animals. Why, you might ask? Well, Gadamai is the name of one of their gods, and they believe that sacrificing to this goddess will result in evil being diminished and good luck being encouraged. They're appeasing their God. They're doing things that they believe will help them prosper. And so you look at these poor animals and you realize that this is kind of a sad experience, is it not? You see, you feel a sense of sadness for these buffalo and these goats and chickens and all these other animals that they sacrifice. You might look at them and say, well, that's so sad. They had no choice. They were led to the slaughter without having any opportunity to raise their voices in in opposition, they were forced. Jesus knew exactly what he was signing up for. He was the sacrifice who chose to go. He was innocent, but he had a voice in the matter. He could have said, I will not sacrifice myself for these people. But he willingly humbled himself to the will of the Father in order that you and I would have the opportunity to be right with God once more. And so, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he lets mankind abuse him and misuse him and ultimately submit him to a humiliating death. And this was all done because God the Father allowed it. He ordained it. Why is Jesus so great? Well, because Jesus is God in the flesh who lived and died in our place. So we ought to worship him with the greatest amount of worship that we are capable of. He was a sacrifice for you and for me. We're gonna close out with one final song. Angels we have heard on high. The phrase, and I was gonna talk about one phrase. It's a gloria in excelsis Deo. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Okay, remember verse nine, I said, therefore God has highly exalted him. He's super exalted Jesus. Glory, Gloria in excelsis Deo is essentially to say glory to God in the highest, with the highest praise possible, with the highest, greatest energy we can muster. Jesus deserves that. The sacrifice, the lamb who was slain, who willingly went on our behalf, glory to him in the highest. Let's close out together as we sing this song and give God Jesus, glory in the highest. Let's stand and let's do this right.
Thank you all for worshiping with us tonight. You guys are dismissed. Please pick up your trash so it doesn't look bad and so that somebody else doesn't have to do it for you.